Sunday. It's March 15th. Ides of March. No knives. And uh, Eric Hill came from Dallas to preach. I want to tell you a little bit quickly uh, about Eric and then I'm going to turn it over to him because I used to get the 45 minute introduction. It was like, like the coach calling timeout when you're shooting technical free throws, you know. Uh, I met Eric in a parking lot and uh, never have in my whole life seen anybody dramatically change in the ways that he did. And, uh, you know, he insisted on being baptized in incredibly frigid weather at an apartment uh, complex in the pool. You know, his whole life got consumed by Jesus. And at first, all I could focus on was how much of it needed to be consumed by Jesus. <laughs> I think the first time I rode with him in a car, he did a donut in the middle of Essen Lane, which would be like Highway 90. But uh, I've been impressed with the whole direction of his life. Our church does not look for people to come speak here. We're not uh, hoping to get some name in that will draw more people in here. I want the ones that God has drawn. I could care less about the advertisement. When we ask somebody like Eric to speak, it's because we have seen something demonstrated in their lives that we believe will bless you. Amen? Amen. So y'all stretch your hands forward towards him. We're going to pray for him and then we're going to turn this over to him. Mighty God, we lift up Brother E to you right now. I thank you for he and his wife. Lord, I thank you for their two beautiful children. I pray that your anointing would be upon them. That you would shine upon their face with favor. That you would, mighty God, carry his speech along like a prophet of old. That as he opens his mouth, you would fill it with your word. Lord, we need the ministry that comes from his family and his life. And we thank you for him today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You got the whole service, brother. <laughs> well, actually, um, before we begin, with your permission, uh, my wife, Bridget, has a couple of encouraging words for some folks here. And so she asked if she could share those. And Gabe and Debbie, um, if you guys don't mind... Um, Bridget wants to share a word with you, and then if we could pray for you, that'd be great. Um, well, I actually, when Eric said we were going to come up here, I just, right away, I felt like there's someone that we were supposed to give a word to, and your face came to my mind, and I didn't remember what your name was then, but then when you came, you know, we just did last night, I realized it was you. But um, just for both of you, I, you know, I didn't know the situation with your son before either with the asthma and stuff. But I just felt like the Lord just wants to encourage you right now and just refresh you guys because you refresh others. And, you know, the Word says that he who refreshes others will he himself be refreshed. And I just feel like the Lord is wanting to refresh you guys. And um, that the words of that song are for you guys that you're, you're pressed but not crushed. You're persecuted but you're not abandoned. You're, um, you're struck down but not destroyed. And though sorrow may last for a night, there's going to be joy in the morning. Yes. Amen. Amen. So, Amen. just want to Amen. encourage you guys. Amen. Well, Father, I thank you so much for... Uh, for Gabe and Debbie, Lord, I thank you that their lives are a testimony of your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you as as you do cause refreshing in their hearts, Lord, that you're going to tear down some um, some old framework in their minds, some some uh, things that have been distorted through the years, and you're going to rebuild them up um, so that they can trust you and believe you for everything in every way. 
God, you have provided for them in, in, in every single situation, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to do so and that you give them peace as they move forward, Lord, and as they believe for healing for their son, uh, Grayson. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Yes. Hallelujah. And then uh, Bridget actually has a word for you, Gary. Gary. <laughs> I didn't know you were Eric's dad, but then I kind of figured you were a son. I just felt something really short and sweet that the Lord just wanted to let you know your job is definitely not done in His kingdom. I'm sure you know that. Right? To reinforce that your job's not done and your son needs your blessing. Hey, I'm sure yeah. he does already, but he's still not done. Yeah. 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 Now I know, I know what's been going on with the school and everything because Eric shared it with me and I hadn't really shared too much of that with Bridget so that's just a testimony Gary and it's good to see you I, I, uh, like Eric said I, we actually met in Baton Rouge and so half of your faces are so familiar and um, you guys have done so much um, for me Miss Patricia and just man 10 years ago it's been 10 years uh, since since I got saved and since Eric and I had a uh, our meeting in the parking lot at, at uh, King's Harvest. It's actually kind of funny. Before that, before that, before we met in the parking lot, I had actually come to King's Harvest because this guy named Andrew, um, who uh, Brad knows very well, um, Andrew and, uh, and I worked together. We worked together for about six months, and he was constantly um, around me and just loving me. But he never really talked about Jesus much. He, he would just. It slip it in here and there, and uh, there was this other woman that I worked with, and every time I saw her, she was, you know, Bible thumper, like, you know, you got to get saved and you got to give your life to Jesus. And I'm like, back up, like, <laughs> back up. Um, but Andrew, he was, he was just subtle and sweet, and uh, he invited me to go to church, and um, it was actually interesting because I, I grew up Catholic, so I had no framework for what I was about to step into and I walked into this church and they had people dancing on the stage and clapping and I thought people were nuts man. I was like, this doesn't this doesn't seem right but it felt I was at such peace and um, Preston our, our worship leader said hey if anybody's uh, sick why don't you come forward we'll pray for you and one thing I knew in the Catholic Church is we every year we had the, the prayer for the sick so I was like well you know, I get these really bad headaches. I need to, I need to come up for prayer. And um, I came up. I was wearing my Nine Inch Nails T-shirt and just got done smoking a pack of cigarettes, probably out in the parking lot. And uh, Eric actually came up to me and he's like, "Hey, man, do you mind if I pray for you?" And I said, "Sure." As soon as this man put his hands on my chest, I melt. I broke, and I just started crying like a baby because it was the first time in my life I had ever experienced true love. And at that, it was coming from a man, and I was like, "This is this is uh, this is outside of my my box, man. This is completely this is completely uh, you know." I, <laughs> I just had a manicure. Yeah. The whole point being was the love of God was was flowing through through Eric and through everybody around me, and um, you know, a week passed by and. I heard Brad speaking in tongues, actually. Brad Hall was speaking in tongues next to me, and I was like, that is cool, dude. I'm going to be able to do that. And uh asked Eric about it, and next thing you know, I'm getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, and yes, I was standing outside with a cigarette, and <laughs> they took me as I was, so. 
Um, but I had a lot of uh, messages kind of cycling through my mind about what I wanted to share this morning. I had got together this PowerPoint presentation. I was going to show you pictures from India because I just got back from a missions trip. So if you were hoping for that, sorry to disappoint. <laughs> that was my goal, but I feel like God put something on my heart um, that, you know, it's, it's more personal and it's more intimate. And it's stuff that he's been doing in my life. And so I wanted to encourage you with it. Um, going back to 10 years ago, it was actually uh, around this time I was walking down Bourbon Street in the middle of Mardi Gras, completely lost. And uh, I, I can't say it was like an out-of-body experience because it wasn't that, but there's no other words to describe it. It was like uh, I was walking down the street and all of a sudden everything became clear. And uh, God said in not so many words, now keep in mind I'd never heard the voice of God in my life. I don't know what's going on. I'm just walking and all of a sudden this thing happens to me. And he essentially says, this is your life, Eric, magnified a million times over. This is who you've become. How does it feel? And I could, all of a sudden, I could feel the concentrated wickedness on my skin and in my heart. It was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. All the sin over all these years, 19 years, had bubbled up to the surface. And suddenly I realized, I'm a wicked person. I'm not a good person. I'm not a nice person. I'm not a kind person. I'm as wicked and corrupt as this big party that I'm at. This is just me, like, under a magnifying glass. And, um, man, I didn't know what to do, so I started seeking out everywhere, going to church, going, you know, um, trying to find people. And that's when Andrew snagged me and said, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Because he knew that uh, the conviction of God was on my life, and next thing you know, I get born again. Um, so fast forward 10 years, here in the last several months... <clears throat> You know, I'm supposed to be finished with this, right? All the sins bubbled up. God purged away the dross. And, you know, I'm clean now, man. I'm holy. I'm righteous. You know, I just stumble sometimes. But uh, here lately, God's kicked up the fire. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm back in this place I was 10 years ago where all of this, this gunk is, is, is uh, coming up. And it's uh, the only way I could equate it is that it's already in there. God knew it was already in there, but now he put his hand on my heart. And now it's coming out in every direction. Um, and it's not, it's, it, I'm glad Eric shared the word he, he shared because it's not condemnation. It's that this stuff is inside of there and it needs to come out, right? And there's a, the only way that it comes out is through a process. And so I want to talk to you about that process. I do believe in instant um, deliverance and healing and, and ministry and God. I mean, a, a single prayer can take away uh, an <coughs> issue in your life. But at the same time, if that's the way that it worked, we'd all be holy and perfect right now, and there would be no no need to walk out this life, right? Um, so if you guys would, would turn with me to Hebrews 12, and I'm going to read I'm going to read one through thirteen. Actually, somebody else is going to read one through thirteen. Um, We're there. Just and, gotta let him know when you're there. There. Yeah. there. And uh, somebody read Hebrews one through six. Hebrews 1 through 6? 12. Yeah, 12, 1 through 6. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, 
you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when the Lord rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves. And He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Somebody read 7 through 13 for me. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may be disabled, but rather healed. Yeah, and I want to kind of start backwards from this and, and look at verses 7 through 11 first, and then we'll backtrack to, to the first part of it. But this is, this is kind of the process that God put in place, right? He disciplines those He loves. Endure hardship. Endure your sufferings. Endure these things that are weighing on you, that are pressing on you as discipline because God is treating us all as sons. And he says, if, what, 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 of those, what of those children who are not disciplined? They're illegitimate, man. He said, if God didn't love you, He wouldn't discipline you. But He does love you, and therefore He disciplines you. And what, for what purpose? He says, so that you can share in His holiness. Right? We all want to, we all want to pray for uh, deliverance and determination and strength and all these things. But then when the process comes, we want to short-circuit it. God, I want to increase in faith. God, I want to be free from this particular sin. I want, I want to be uh, healed in this particular area. But then when the process starts and we start moving forward and the discipline comes and the hardship comes, what do we do? God, deliver me from this hardship. Take this discipline away from me, right? And instead of going back to James 1 that says, Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But we don't want perseverance to finish its work because I don't want to undergo the trial, because the trial seems too much. What, what Matt was saying, right? It starts pressing down on you, and you're thinking, there's no way I can carry this. And yet, Hebrews 12 clearly says that, hey, look back to Jesus, man. He bore that weight. And you haven't even resisted the point of shedding blood yet. This guy was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying about whether or not he wanted to undergo the will of God. I mean, think about this. God himself was saying, I know that I have to undergo this process. I know that I have to bear this burden. But I don't know if I can. So therefore, Father, would you take, your, you know, would you take this cup from me if it be your will? Nevertheless, let it be done. I mean, Jesus, uh, if we flip back to Hebrews 2, I love this scripture. It always uh, blew my mind when I read it. I I'm going to read actually two different scriptures here. Um, Hebrews 2.10, it says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through <coughs> suffering. That word perfect isn't as if Jesus was imperfect and sinful in those ways. It means complete full, mature, consummated, completely done. 
said it was it was fitting that God would make him perfect through suffering. And then you flip over um, just about eight verses, and it says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, I always thought you know his suffering had to do strictly with the being nailed to the cross, bearing the burden, and God turning His wrath from him. While that all has to, while that's all a part of the suffering process, it says he suffered when he was tempted. The weight of, of the world was on his shoulders, and he was tempted to short circuit the process. Wow. He was he he desired Jesus desired to fulfill the will of God, but when the when the process and the burden started started pressing in and it was time to move forward, he was tempted to short-circuit that process. Do you realize if he would have short-circuited that process, none of us would be sitting here today? None of us. And you could say, well, Jesus was perfect, and, and so you know he had no choice. He had a choice. He had a choice because he was fully man. And everybody sitting in this room has the same human, human sack that he carried. We carry on us, right? And no, he did not have the sinful nature. It says, in fact, he was tempted in every way, just like we are, but he was sinless. And therefore, he can help us out in our temptation. So as we're feeling the weight and the, and the push of the burdens of life that are pressing down on us, as we're feeling the hardships crush us, the trials crush us and press on us, man, we have the greatest hope in the world that Jesus endured it for, for the joy set before him. He endured all of it. And so let's look to Him. And there's, there's hope in the end that there's this joy that comes when we finish this process. And it says, in fact, um, at the end of Hebrews 12 there, it said, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. And does He stop there? Later on, discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace says, for those who have been trained by it. Amen. And unless you undergo the process, unless you undergo the discipline, unless you undergo the hardships, it's impossible for you to be trained. And I don't know about you, but you know, as much as I don't like the hardship, as much as I don't like God pushing down on those areas of your life where you know, He touches those sore spots or open up those wounds... Uh, so that you can be healed as much as I hate that, it's necessary. And I think, here I am praying, God, that your will would be done in my life, and now it's being done, and I don't like it. That's right. Right? It's like, Jesus, I'm sure Jesus was in the garden thinking, man, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he wasn't, because he's not nearly as... Uh, as, as he doesn't have as nearly a weak knees and feeble arms as I have. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just that thing that, that no matter what we do and no matter how hard we try, we cannot escape the fact that God has destined us to go through suffering and hardship in order to be perfected the same way His Son was. And if anybody finds an easier way, if anybody can show me in Scripture where there's an easier way, please correct me right now. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think so. I've looked. There's no easier way. Um, you know, a, a, a scripture that always comes to mind is, I quote this all the time, um, Proverbs 16.9, that says, In his heart a man plans his ways. Or, uh, say, hold on, I want to quote it exactly. 
Proverbs 16.9 In his heart a man plans his course, but Yahweh determines his steps. <laughs> Think, in my heart I've planned this course. I've said, God, I want to be like you. Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to learn to serve like you. I want to learn to love like you. I want to touch people like you touch them. I want to speak to them like you speak to them. That's my course. That's what I desire. But now God's determined the steps as how I should get there. And along the way, man, it's going to be rocky, and it's going to be bumpy, and it's going to be a rough ride sometimes. And uh, like <laughs> Justin and Eric were talking about last night, a fishing trip they went on where the seas were high, and you know it was a rough, rough time because you know it's choppy and and uh, people are getting sick, and uh, it's not quite like the experience you envisioned in your mind, right? Placid waters, you toss the line out there, you're reeling in the big fish. No, man, that's what all of us think, right? Like, oh, man, I just want to be at peace. I just want the shalom of God in my life. I want to be healed. I want to be rested. And and the whole time you're on the boat going, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> right? This is, not, this is not the plan that I thought was supposed to be carried out. Because in my heart, I'm seeing the end results. But God doesn't take you from here to here by transportation, by, by transporting you. <coughs> If this isn't Star Trek, you don't just beam me up to the next place, Lord. It's, you want to get from point A to point B, you see that river, you see that desert, you see those mountains, it's all on the other side of that. Now, if you want to lay down in the desert and cry and weep a little while and, and, and pout, that's fine. I'll take, I'll take my time. I mean, God's not in a hurry to get you from point A to point B because He's not interested in you getting to point B and not being prepared to handle what he has for you on the other side. Amen. I think about my son Joshua, and um, lately he's in the he's in that two stage. He's two years old, and man, he's starting to get whiny and pouty, and it's it's really getting on my nerves. It's driving me nuts because I'm thinking, man, what's your, what's your problem? I mean, you know, shouldn't you be shouldn't you be happy? Mom's right here, Dad's right here. Uh, you know, you should be pleasant and all things should be wonderful. It doesn't work like that. I'm finding out more and more. And my first reaction is, is to get mad, right? Well, he just needs to be spanked and then he'll stop crying. But what happens when you spank him and he doesn't stop crying? Do you spank him some more? No, because then he cries harder. Well, I'll put him in his room a little while. That works sometimes. But what do you do when you're at a hotel room at Marriott in the middle of Sugar Land and he won't stop crying? Am I lock him in the bathroom? I mean, that... That's just, you know, there's certain boundaries you don't cross. That's one of them. I don't think Bridget would let me, you know, stick him in the bathroom until he's done anyways. But I'm getting upset with him. I'm in the shower this morning, and I'm praying about the message, and, you know, I'm thinking about these things. And uh, Bridget told me this morning, she said, Eric, he's just going through a phase. And I said, I don't care. It's still unacceptable. <laughs> so I'm praying this morning going through this process that God's taken me through and I'm like man thank you so much for your grace during this season you know during this phase of my life and boom it hit me like Eric you're you're treating your son like that unmerciful uh, servant who went to his master and said I know I owe you millions of dollars but will you please forgive me? And the king forgave his debt. And then he turned around and went out to find some dude who owed him a couple bucks. And he started choking him. And he said, you owe me money. Threw him in jail. 
I mean, that's what that's essentially what I'm doing to my son. And we laugh about it now, but it's embarrassing and shameful. And I think here I am turning around saying, "Son, you should you should be more. You know, it's unacceptable for you to act this way." And I'm laying in the desert, screaming and pouting and pitching a fit like the Israelites did. This isn't fair. You took me all the way out to Egypt to let me die out here in the desert. You're making me walk around this mountain, and even though my sandals aren't falling apart, and even though you're providing food for me, and even though miracles are happening, it's not enough. I'm still not satisfied. Because you said you were going to deliver me, and all I'm doing is walking in laps, back and forth, back and forth. It's because God did want to deliver them, but He wanted to deliver them through a process so that when they got to the promised land, they would be able to defeat their enemies and to be able to stand strong in the face of the giants. And He said, because you guys short-circuited my process and because you were hard-hearted and unbelieving, which is all in Hebrews, and He talks about this right before He goes on to tell them to endure hardship. He said, you guys wanted rest, you wanted peace, you wanted victory, and I was giving it to you. But you didn't want to do it the way that I wanted you to. And so consequently, you're going to die out here in the desert. And your children are going to inherit the promise because of it. And I think, I don't want to be that guy, right? I don't think anybody in this room wants to be that guy or that girl who God says, the promise isn't for you now because you short-circuited the process. And now I'm going to take your children. I'm not saying you're not going to be saved necessarily. I'm not saying any of those things. What I'm saying is you're going to be like Moses standing on the top of a mountain looking into the promised land and saying, why? Why couldn't I go there? Because when I told you to deal gently with my people, when I told you to, to, to speak to the rock, you struck it instead. And all of these lessons I'm learning about how I'm dealing with my own children. And God says, speak gently to your son. Treat him the way I treat you. I'm sorry, I don't know if it's caffeine, but I'm starting to get choked up a little I was trying to figure out this morning, I was like, I don't know if it's the caffeine and the lack of sleep and the reminiscence about being back in Baton Rouge, but, uh, man, I'm getting choked up. Maybe it's just the overwhelming presence of God. Um, there you go. But the whole thing is, is, is all of these, the reason why I chose to share this instead of one of the other things is because it, the other messages I had were good and they were nice and they were teaching and, you know, they had ten points, you know, three points in a poem or whatever. They had all of those things. But I can't escape what God is doing in my life. And I Amen. thought it would be robbery Amen. to not share the very thing that God's doing in my life with each of you. Amen. And I know it's kind of scattered. I'm hitting this point and that point. It's perfect. But man, when I look at my son and I see, I see the way I'm supposed to treat him. And I look at the way God is treating me. And I see some incongruence there. Man, it brings so much conviction in my life. Because I realize if God hadn't been merciful to me all these years, where would I be? Right. If God would have said, Eric, your behavior is unacceptable. And I don't care how you feel right now because you're supposed to act this way. Man, I wouldn't be standing here right now. He would have cut me off a long time ago. I've been saved 10 years. I have wholeheartedly devoted my life to Jesus Christ. And Eric can testify. He wouldn't let me stand up here and speak to you if that wasn't the case. Because I know him. And... After all this, I'm thinking, shouldn't it be 
right now? Right? Shouldn't it be, shouldn't it be complete? Shouldn't I have endured this suffering and, and now, you know, now that I've undergone the hardship, shouldn't I be holier than I was 10 years ago? And you know, the truth is, I'm no more holy right now than I was 10 years ago because my holiness is not dependent upon my performance. It's dependent upon Jesus Christ. And if it was not dependent upon Him, none of us in this room would ever have or experience the holiness of God. And so when I look at, at, at Hebrews 12 that says I have to endure this hardship as discipline so that I can share in His holiness, I think, man, what do you mean? You're telling me that it's your holiness. You know, it, it's all because of you that I'm holy. It's all because of you that I'm righteous. But I still got to undergo this process in order to obtain, attain it, right? And yet we've already attained it? It's this weird paradox with the things of God. He says, you're saved by faith and by grace, by, by grace through faith alone. That's it. But yet your deeds prove that you trust me. But yet if you don't have obedience, then you prove that you didn't believe in me anyways, and so therefore it's impossible for you to be saved. And I'm like, this isn't this is strange, man. Vicious circularity. Yeah, it is. It's the vicious cycle. Because you have to continually you have to continually walk into obedience to show your faith. And believe me, we were sealed on the day of redemption and, and I'm not getting into the once saved, always saved, or can you lose your salvation? That's that's all a totally different subject. What I'm talking about is is if you don't have deeds, then you don't have faith, and consequently you don't believe God is who he says he is. And the scripture says that if you don't believe who he's if you don't believe he is who he says he is, then you have no part in his kingdom. And yet when the trials come and the hardships come and the testing comes, where are your deeds? Do they fall out the window? Do you short circuit the process and say, never mind? I'm a bail on this this time. Recently I was uh, I'm enrolled in an MBA program. And I've been knocking on God's door for four years to put me in graduate school. I had to go to graduate school. Come on, Lord, open up the door, open up the door. So when does he open up the door? When I've got two kids, a full-time job, I got ministry burdens, right? I'm thinking, this is not, yeah, this is not cool, man. So I'm going to just quit. I took this semester, I took two classes, I'm just going to quit after this. I've been saying, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit. Well, I start looking for ways to get refunds on the fun, on the money that's already been paid. And I find out, oh, I could drop out of this class that I just took last week because it's a short term. I could drop out of it beforehand be fully refunded. And Bridget's like, you, know, you could do that if you want. But maybe you should just finish it, you know. And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to drop it. And My wife is my personal prophet, right? And she said, <laughs> if I believe God wants me to do something and she confirms it, I just say it's so and then roll forward with it. I know in my heart that I need to finish this class. And I feel like, if I don't take this class, that I'm going to short-circuit this process. I feel like, I, I rarely feel like God has a timeline in my life. Usually I just feel like I'm wandering and somehow I make it to where I'm supposed to be. But I felt like this spring, you know, he has a certain order of events for me that he wants me to experience because he's in the middle of disciplining me because he loves me and he, and he wants to, to untangle some things that have become tangled over the years. And so I feel like he's got me on this timeline. I feel like if I don't attend this class, it's going gonna, it's gonna to short-circuit the whole deal. And I'm thinking, this isn't my normal MO, right? I don't usually think those things. There's always another way. 
So I go ahead with the class anyways. It was number one, it was the best class that I've ever taken in college, period. Mm -hmm. I learned more than I ever thought I would ever learn. And it was real scattered. It wasn't very organized, but it was a lot of group talk and group work. And um, and now because of that class, I'm going to continue my MBA. And I think, what if I would have dropped out beforehand? What if I would have stopped? Is it, is the MBA important? Absolutely not. In the end, it doesn't matter, right? It's just a it's just a degree. It, who cares? Do I think I need it for whatever God has called me to? No. But I need the process. I need the time. I need the whatever it is that He's trying to stretch in my life. Whatever it is that He wants me to experience, He obviously started me on this path. And for me to dive off of it now would save me some heartache, and it would save me some stress, and it would save me some emotional uh, baggage and investment. But then I wouldn't be disciplined. Then I wouldn't learn. Then I wouldn't be trained by it, and I wouldn't be able to share in the harvest of righteousness and peace that I pray for continually. And so I'm praying for it. Righteousness. So, man, I pray every night over my family. The shalom of God. The peace of God. The prosperity. The fullness of the harmony of our entire lives. Of body, soul, mind, spirit, environment, money. All of it. That God would bring his peace and his wholeness into every area of our lives. And then he starts bringing the discipline. And starts bringing the trials. And I'm thinking, this doesn't feel like shalom. This doesn't feel like peace. This isn't the righteousness that I was asking for. Instead of righteousness, it's the opposite. Instead of righteousness, it's exactly what Paul says in Romans 7. I'm experiencing, I'm looking at it and going, oh, I'm a covetous person. Oh, I'm an adulterous person. Oh, I'm a violent person. Oh, I'm looking at the law and seeing all these things, all this sin come out in me. I'm thinking, this isn't righteousness, man. I was praying for freedom from this stuff. <laughs> this is just the opposite. But you have to have the revelation. You have to have the conviction. Going all the way back to my Mardi Gras experience, I had to know that I wasn't the man I thought I was in order to become the man God had called me to be. Amen. That's awesome. Yes. Amen. And so I want to be the right, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, once again, I've clothed myself in righteousness. God sees me as he sees his son, Jesus, all of those things. But I'm required to endure till the end. I'm required to, to walk the, or to fight the good fight, to run the race marked out with perseverance that God has set before me. And I'm to, to reach out for the things that, as Paul says in Philippians, those things that are, what does he say? Um, not that I haven't already attained them, but I continue. Hold on, let's turn to Philippians real fast. E, do you know what scripture I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm getting there. I know where it is in my Bible, like on the page. I have no idea what chapter or verse it is. Is it in three? Somebody Yeah. Yeah, read it, Justin. Not that I've already attained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul yeah, wrote 15. At 15? Yeah, 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. <laughs> and then verse 16. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. 
He says, not that I've already attained it. And then at the end of the verse, he says, let us live up to what we've already attained. It's that strange paradox again. It's that I press on to, to letting go of what was behind. I press on to reach out. And Paul is saying this at the end of his life. This isn't at the beginning of his ministry. If I'm, not cor if, if I'm correct, this was the last book he wrote right before he was beheaded. Right before he died, he wrote this. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. And yet now I'm, asking, I'm saying live up to what I've already attained. Man, if Paul wrote that at the end of his life and he's the hero of the apostles to the Gentiles, I mean he's the, the apostolic hero of the Bible. What makes any of us think that we can short-circuit the process? What, what makes us, any of us think that we can somehow escape this very thing that Paul's talking about? Well, I don't have to persevere. I don't have to endure the hardship or the discipline because I'm the exception. And I don't know about you, but I'm always the exception. <laughs> I'm always the exception. Aren't you always the exception? I mean, God says I have to go through this, but not me. Surely he was talking about somebody else. Did you want to share something? You're doing great. Oh, no, I thought. <laughs> what you're seeing is uh, extreme affirmation that this is true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, I just think, what is, it, what is it in us, in each one of us, that thinks that somehow we're so special and so unique that the Word of God doesn't apply to our lives? And I've thought about this a lot, and I, this is what I believe. Because I haven't seen, I didn't see it in India. I didn't see it in Peru. I haven't seen it with Chinese Christians or with African Christians. You know what it is? It's a strong individualistic society where we raise our kids and say, "Oh, you're so special. You're so unique. God's got this, and nobody else can do what you do." That's a lie. I'll tell you right now. Anybody on this planet can do what you do because what you do is only done through the power of God. And he can, he can. If I don't do it, Justin can do it. If Justin can't do it, Steve can do it. If Steve can't do it, then Jennifer can do it. And Jan, and so on and so forth. And I think we've d deluded ourselves into thinking that somehow we're so unique and so special, which is true, you're unique and special. I'm not saying you're not. But we've gotten so far off base that we start thinking it applies in every area of our life. And somehow I'm so special and so unique and God views me with such high esteem that this particular scripture doesn't apply to me. And I don't know about you, but I get terribly convicted thinking about that. I think, who, who do I think I am? But it's been pumped into me from the time I'm young. and Every single one of us. If you grew up in the United States of America, man, I mean, you think about this. We're a wonderful nation. We were founded on rebellion. I know. I mean, seriously. I mean, and yes, I believe it's in God's plan, obviously, and all these things. But you think about it. The roots of our nation are founded in, in bucking authority and throwing off the fetters and saying, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to overcome. And that has helped us in so many ways and it's hurt us in so many ways. Right. Because we do the same thing to God. We do the same thing to spiritual authority. We do the same thing to government. Amen. I don't like the president or I don't like the Senate, so I'm going to badmouth them and I'm going to do it my own way. I don't like what the cops say the speed limit is, so I'm going to do it my own way. And look, this is... <laughs> I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> I'm preaching to the choir. But it really is. You know? And I don't know how we got here, but I know that I don't want to continue on in that path. And I want my son to understand you are special, and you are unique, and my daughter, you are special, and you are unique. But remember this, that God is no respecter of persons. That's right. 
And so if somehow you think that you've got God wrapped around your finger and that you're going to give him the eyes and, oh, Lord, <laughs> he's no respecter of persons. Everybody's got to endure the same thing. If his son did it, you have to do it and you can do it. Paul said, don't think that you weren't called to endure the sufferings of Jesus Christ. This is what we're called to. Peter says, this is what we're called to. says it multiple times, that you were called to suffer as Jesus suffered. But I don't like that. Because I don't want to suffer at somebody else's hand. I don't want to suffer if I don't have to. Because I got air conditioning, and I got a king size bed, <laughs> and I got TV on demand. And, uh, and so I had missed my cup of coffee this morning, and now I'm mad at the world, and they're going to experience it. <laughs> and look, I am only saying the things that I deal with every single day. I'm sure you guys are much holier. Much more righteous, and you don't bear these things. I can assure you they're not. <laughs> I will share one story from India that, that this, this is amazing. I actually spent two, uh, we spent time in Mumbai, and we spent time in Delhi. And when I was in Mumbai, we, we spent time with this pastor. His name's Shaker. This guy is ultra charismatic. I mean, makes you dream big, makes you feel creative, all these things. He has a network of about... Uh, of I don't know how many different churches it is, but it's about 30,000 people in Mumbai that kind of fall under his, his network, his umbrella. And there are lots of small churches. They meet in, um, in schools. They meet in theaters. They meet outside. I got to go to this bungalow. Um, it's an outside church. It's right on the beach. And they minister to Bollywood people, people who are in you know, the Hollywood of, of India. So I got to meet like famous uh, fashion designers and choreographers. It was really amazing. And we saw the high life. We ate at nice restaurants. We stayed in a nice hotel. I rode around in a very nice BMW while I was there. Ate with the high-level high business leaders. It was a great time. It was awesome. And then we packed our bags and we went to Delhi. And I met a guy who's more like Jesus than I've ever met in my entire life. And not that Shaker's not like Jesus. God calls that, you know, the, the, the movers and the shakers, and that's what he is. When we were in Delhi, there was this guy by the name of Koshi. Koshi Baby, actually. B-A-B-Y. Go figure. Uh, Indian guy named Koshi Baby. So, uh, sounds like a rapper. Um, so, Koshi Baby and his wife, he's got his, his master's degree. She has her Ph.D. in economics. They left everything to start a church in the slums. In an illegal slum at that. Uh, they're squatters. The Indian government owns the land, but somehow there was too many people... And so people started settling here, just building little shanties, and government agents started getting paid off to leave them there. And next thing you know, they build concrete structures, they've got businesses, all these, and it's all illegal. <laughs> all of it. There's not a person who runs a business there who is there legally. And the government's going to come in and they're actually going to level it and rebuild uh, a bunch of stuff. But Koshi and his wife decided to start a church here. They start a church and they've got nothing. I mean, Joycey said she was crying the first day that they moved into their little apartment. He had nothing but books. She walked into his apartment, he had nothing but books. No furniture, no nothing, no bed. He had books. And he said, God's called me to preach the gospel, and so I've got to prepare myself. So I invested all my money in learning material. This guy studied at Oxford. These are not, I mean, she's got her Ph.D. in economics. And she could have been making, uh, and she did for a while, make great money, you know, PhDs in India get preferential treatment, all this. They said, we're going to do, the, we're going to, we're going to start a church. 
The first day they started church, they had one person, a handicapped kid. One handicapped kid. And uh, they continued to minister to him over time, and then a few people got added. Now they have a network of schools that minister 1,800 Muslim and Hindu children. 1,800, from one handicapped kid to 1,800 school kids. And this guy, Koshi, met his wife. He put an ad out in the paper. This is how it, this, it's still kind of arranged marriages. Christians don't do the arranged thing as much. But he posted an ad in this paper, sent it out saying, I'm looking for a, for a woman. And so they mail in their resumes with their pictures. And then he's, you know, he writes every one of them a letter, you know, uh, not this time, maybe, maybe next time. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's telling this story. I'm thinking, you're kidding, right? This is a joke. You're going to get to the punchline? No. So uh, he meets this woman, Joyce. He said he asked all these ladies two questions. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? And are you willing to die for Jesus? And he met many women, and he said a lot of them would, would hesitantly say yes, some of them would just say, no, are you nuts? And uh, finally, he come across Joycey, his wife, and she said yes to both questions. And that's, he said, okay, let's get married. I like you. Didn't know nothing, you know, didn't know her hobbies. They didn't date. They didn't do any of that. It was just, if you're willing to suffer and die for Jesus, come with me. And, um, man, they got married. And this guy has a church there in the slums, 1,800 kids. And he is the most humble man I have ever met in my entire life. And he's doing the ministry and, and just flowing in every area of his life. And it's because he's humble and he's receptive. And when we're there, I mean, this guy is like a champion of the faith. And while we're there, he wants us to pray for him and us to minister to him. And I'm thinking, I'm not, I don't deserve to be in this church right now praying for every single person who walks through those doors, a hundred-something people, you pray for each one, you prophesy over each one, and nobody's leaving. I mean, people don't leave until they've been prayed for. And I'm thinking, who am I, right? These people were raised Hindu, radically saved, threw away foreign gods. I mean, literally took gods off their walls and destroyed them, right? They've been beaten by their fellow people. They've been ousted by their families. Their parents, some of them still do honor killings. So they they're, you know, can't go home to their family because they're afraid their dad will kill them. Or the local priest, the Hindu priest will sacrifice them or something yeah. because they come from these villages. I mean, all this craziness. And I'm thinking, you want, to, you want me to pray for you? I drive a Honda Accord, live in a 1,400-square-foot house. And once again, I get upset if I don't have caffeine for the day. <laughs> you guys pray a couple hours a day. I pray a couple minutes a day. You guys study the Scripture for hours at a time and receive prayer continually and... I'm satisfied with a 30-minute message and then packing up, talking to a few people and feel like I've done my business for the week, you know? Who am I? And somehow, God continues to use me, and He'll continue to use you. Those who are going to Mexico, I mean, it's the most humbling experience. You'll think, I should be receiving ministry from you. Because you're the ones who are enduring the suffering. You're the ones who are undergoing the discipline. You're the ones who are experiencing the, the, the persecution. I don't, I don't deserve to be praying for you. You should be praying for me. But pray for them because it will bless them. Encourage them because that's what, what God wants to do. But walk away in your heart knowing that at any point, any one of us could be there. At any point. Nobody is exempt. God is no respecter of persons. The grace of God is with us now to, to go through what we go through here. 
like uh, Peter said in Second Peter, that Lot was tormented in his righteous soul because of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, to me, that's that's what we endure here in the United States, right? Tormented in our righteous souls because of the the foolishness and the the debauchery that goes on around us, and yet. At the same time, any one of us in a heartbeat, God can can take it all away, and we could be right there in the trash pickers dump in in Mexico, or like I saw in India, or Guatemala, or anywhere else in the world. Because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but in the end, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. I want to encourage you with two scriptures, and then uh, I don't know how we're doing on time. But I encourage you with two scriptures. First Corinthians ten thirteen. Like I said, my natural tendency is to build like systematic messages. I like to teach, get into the Hebrew and the Greek, and there. And somehow all of that got tossed out of the window, and here I am. So you, you got me in the raw, unfiltered format. That's how we prefer it. First Corinthians ten thirteen. Eric, if you look too organized, they're going to resent me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I grew up under the faithful ministry of Eric Stevens and, and Pastor Buzz Tremay. So those guys, you talk about going off on tangents. And sad services where you start with one scripture, and before you know it, the end of the services come, and you're clapping, you're praying, you're like, I have no idea what just happened, but it was good. Yeah. <laughs> If you walk away... We'll see you again in about four years. <laughs> <laughs> My hope is, and I know Eric's hope is, and any real, real, anybody who preaches from a pulpit or teaches, the real hope is, is that one word, one word changes your life. It don't, I could have talked for 40 minutes if you heard 30 seconds, and it brought some transforming element to your life, that's successful, right? And if it only happened for one person in the room, you're a success. So... Um, at any rate, 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. In other words, everybody's experiencing the same thing. There's, don't think that somehow it's some unique temptation. We all experience it. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And that's the word that Matt was given earlier. You know, He's not going to let you carry a weight that you're not able to carry. And here it is. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, one of those paradoxes again. He'll find you a way out so that you can stand up under it. But if he's finding me a way out, shouldn't it be completely gone? Absolutely not. The way out is, is the way out of doing your own will and bearing up underneath God's will. And so that you will be able to stand up underneath it. Um, and, and this temptation... And once again, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's to covet, whether it's adulterous, whether it's violence, whether it's anger, whether it's drunkenness, you name it, whatever the temptation is, it's the temptation to not do the will of God. If you think about it like that, it's really simplified down to one thing. Do the will of God or don't do the will of God. And anything that attracts you to not do the will of God is, is tempting you away from, from God's plan for your life. It doesn't matter what it is. Nope. You can say, well, if only I had, I always tell myself, well, if I didn't have this particular hang-up, if I didn't have this particular weakness, I wouldn't be nearly as awful of a person if I only had this one that Steve has. Right? <laughs> and yet Steve's thinking, 
man, I've lived with this my whole life. If only I can be free from this, well, I can handle Eric's weakness so much better than mine. And yet, no temptation has seized him. That's not common to me. And the commonality is, is that Satan wants to blur the lines between condemnation and conviction. He wants to blur the lines between temptation and sin. He wants to blur the lines between uh, guilt and fear and all these things so that we're constantly playing this guessing game. Right? Am I in the will of God or am I not in the will of God? Am I in the will of God or am I not in the will of God? Am I in the will of God? Yeah, just like I want you to wipe toss back and forth. Yeah. And, 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 it, and you know, I'm thinking, man, life isn't supposed to be this gray, right? It's supposed to be a lot more black and white. But the, the lines are continually blurred. And it's, and it's that whole purpose of keeping you... And once again, this isn't God trying to blur the lines. The lines are clear in God's mind. And, and, and they should be to each one of us. But as we go and we get tangled up in the sin that Hebrews talks about tossing off, everything starts to become kind of blurry and hazy. And you start thinking... Man, I can't tell if I'm in or I'm out. In or I'm out. Paul says, don't worry. When that t temptation comes, God will give you a way to stand up underneath it all. And as God spoke to me one time when I was on my knees, overwhelmed when I was in college, uh, I got on my knees and I couldn't think straight for nothing. And he said, Eric, I will speak above your flesh and you will know my voice. Because I will speak above your flesh. And you'll know it's me. There'll be no doubt. I want to encourage each one of you, whenever you feel the, the weight of it pushing down, man, God's ready to speak. And He will. And you'll know it's Him. There'll be no doubt. Because your head's not clear. And uh, one more scripture. 1 Peter 5.10. First Peter five ten. All right. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have what suffered, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfastness. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. 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 After you have suffered a little while. He will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may, be, may not be disabled, but rather healed. Because as the weight of it comes down on you, God promises once you've suffered a little while and once you've been trained by His discipline, that He'll remove it all. He'll, he'll re-strengthen you. You'll walk for a little while, and I promise you again, you'll be back to the place where the Lord's disciplined you at some point. But in the meantime, let's bear up underneath it and wait until wait until that time comes. So Are you kidding me? What's that? Are you kidding me? Stand up. Come up here. Come up here. You got that's what's required. It's required. It's required. It's required. It's required. No, no, no. Come on. I'm good. Yeah, we can't hear you. Come on. Come on, Prego. No, just just sharing with physical pain, just so I'm dealing I deal a lot with pain and and too just in just a nice life, just dealing with people constantly, um, and their, you know, misunderstanding of suffering in the kingdom. But I think it's interesting that and I do this as well. I'm not saying everybody else does, but um and I don't, but it's funny how we as Americans especially most of our suffering comes from our own 
mistakes and our own decisions and our own, you know, just lack of discipline and bad choices. And yet we, we don't even want to endure our own, like what we suffer because of our own problems. We complain and, and whine and, you know, tell God how, her, how terrible and unjust it is that he would la allow us to suffer. But I think it's just powerful because, you know, the most favored men and women of, of God throughout, you know, from the beginning of time till now, um, have suffered, but it was for doing good. It was for, you know, advancing the kingdom or, you know, witnessing before Pharisees and Sadducees or, you know, sharing the word of God with people. And I just think it's interesting. It's such a paradox that, I mean, our lives have become this, you know, simple, easy cakewalk. And the minute we start suffering, most of it having nothing to do with what we've done good or what we've done for the Lord. But it's really, it was very simple. My whole point was it's just that um, we, we probably need to always discern whether that suffering's coming from something that we, you know, have done or something that God's actually allowing in our life. And, um, or that something we've actually done good. And, you know, Eric, you're a good example and your church is a good example of I think most of y'all's, like you were saying, if it didn't take sacrifice, then, you know. It's not worth doing it. It's not, it's worth not God. It. So, anyway, I just want to encourage you. That's all it was. It was just so powerful in my mind because I'm constantly dealing with people who don't even know God. And they're whining and complaining about why would God let me suffer. And I'm telling them, you know, you're not, first of all, he's, he set the exact times and places that you would live, that you would reach out to him and find him. So if you are suffering... He's probably got you to this humbling point where he'll you'll actually look to, to him and know he exists. But um, but you know, and I'm always just encouraging them to to look at that suffering as something that God would actually allow in their life to draw them to Him. That's but awesome. anyway, it was just a basic point. It wasn't anything. Don't you love my friends? <laughs> yes. 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 I tell you what. And I love all you guys. If you lack something, surround yourself by pretty and intelligent people. Which one is Eric? They're all both. Listen, I wanted to ask you all about something. First off, when I first got born again, one of the things that made an impression on me was a quote I read in a book. It said that the church of the living God was an anvil that has worn out many hammers. I understood as I began to look at the faith, that an awful lot of our lives would simply be about tenacious stubbornness. Okay? Having said that, you get on a mountaintop and you're thrilled to death, right? We love those spiritual warm fuzzy experiences, don't we? And you've all had some. I mean, that's why you're in a church like this and not in a monastery somewhere. It's because we do get to have those and we believe in them. How many people have dug water wells at the very top of mountains? Mm. It doesn't happen. All growth occurs in those valleys. Eric's message is something that I believe so strongly that we put it in a plaque and put it on our wall when we built the church. And isn't that kind of what we do with things that we understand? We define them. We make neat little PowerPoint presentations out of them. The cycle of Christian growth, right? trials and the testing of your faith develops perseverance and maturity and when that's done it makes you complete right and isn't that pretty and you put it on a wall and you forget about it and you say i learned that you know i know that it's okay i'm good i'm okay i i already i understand that that has nothing to do with it this whole process is the gut-wrenching agonizing 
revelation that God never delivers you from, He delivers you through. You know, all of our theology, everything about us is about escapism. And the truth is, the Word does not ever present it. Not in the end times, not presently, not anywhere. The Word is about a people who were tenacious, who endured and did amazing, gut-wrenchingly difficult things for the King. And that He used that process to make them more like Him. When Israel came into the Promised Land, they fought seven foreign nations. I mean, as soon as they came in, seven foreign nations. The first three or four were full of giants. You know, our lives are no different than that. I asked Eric to speak. I'm glad that he did. Boy, did he hit it on the head? And how about Bridget's prophecies? I want you all to know, everybody, we have not talked about anything. I didn't tell him anything about our church other than I love them and I'm proud of them, right? The generic pastor stuff. And they hit it on the head. This is meat. And... uh when you eat food that's rich, sometimes you can't eat just an awful lot of it. There is one central point in that that you better walk away from. I mean, you better walk away with it in you. God's called you to endure what you're in. We're always praying to go around. We're praying to go away, but never through. And God's called us through. Through the Red Sea, through the trouble, through the tribulation, through the squabbles, through all the difficulty. And it changes us along the way. Amen? Amen. You want to pray for him and Bridget? Yeah. Come on up here, Bridget. She's not just your personal prophet anymore. She prophesied all of us. Isn't that good? Yes. I love that. Why don't you all uh, stretch? Why don't you go ahead and get up and come this way? I don't believe Christians are supposed to sit on their salvation. <laughs> I'm going to forget to tell you, there's a Mexico meeting right after this, okay? Uh, and then a bunch of us are going to go overwhelm the Vietnamese restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but they love it. Don't be fooled. Okay. So anybody that wants to go, you are welcome. Mighty, mighty God, we thank you for your servants that bring the word at cost to themselves. Mighty one, I know exactly what it is like to have something impressive that I want to say. And have you speak to me and tell me what I have to say. I thank you for the obedience that Eric and Bridget showed today because it fed my spirit. Lord, I thank you for being faithful to encourage us in the way that is right. To cry out into our ears, here is the way or there is the way. To show us how to walk as you walk. Lord, I pray that he would hear your voice all the days of his life. That you would speak above his flesh so that he would be confident of your will and have the courage to endure what you've called his family to endure. We thank you for the hills, mighty God. We love you and we bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Hey, while we're all together,